Countdown for blast off. X minus five, four, three, two, X minus one, fire. episode of the Forgot My Dives podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Edwards, and with me, of course, the why did we decide to do this at this time of the year, Mr. Robert Lundgren. God, of all the f***ing things to f*** up. God damn it. Yeah, that one wasn't even that hard. No, no, we're keeping that. We're keeping that. God, I can't believe I screwed up there. I know. I know. How many of these have I nailed in a row? And I, I nailed the hard part, the part that I've never seen, and then I get to your last name, which I've said thousands of times, and nope, that's where I fail. You know what, man? You know what? It's uh, it's like it's like uh, those rug makers. You know, only only God can achieve a perfection, sir. So you have to screw up every so often. You have to put a mistake in just so you're you don't have too much hubris. Yeah, yeah, I'll accept that. Yeah, yeah. As always, we want to start this episode off with a big old thank you to our patrons over at Patreon. You guys are helping us keep the lights on and the servers humming. And apparently, my inability to speak coming straight to your ears. And Jonathan. On that lovely note, I'm going to pick one freaking live. Here we go. Oh, nope. There's today. There is only one day. Well, hold on. Let me see. Let's see. Let's look at the international editing Robert here. So turns out what I said a little bit earlier was prophetic or me. I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but yeah, we didn't get this guy out on time. So instead of what I'm about to say, happy national drinking straw day. Enjoy, on January 3rd, the invention of the drinking straw that was created in 1888 by Marvin C. Stone. He received the patent for the paper drinking straw. Drinking straw. I'm not, you know what? I'm not even going to do this again. We're just doing it live, just like before. Anyway, enjoy the drinking straw. Use that hashtag, hashtag drinking straw day. Back to the show. Oh, no. That's all there is. Jonathan, (laughs) December 27th. It's it's the only day of the year, my friend. Happy National Fruitcake Day. Wow. <laughs> All across the United States, fruitcake lovers, young and old, commemorate National Fruitcake Day each year on December 27th. Made with chopped, candied, or dried fruit, nuts, spices, and sometimes soaked in spirits, fruitcake has been a holiday-gift-giving tradition for many a year, dating back to ancient Rome on up and there is a lot of stuff here man fruit cake is a thing that's crazy but remember go on to your social media of choice and use that hashtag national fruit cake day and tell everybody about your love of the fruitiest of cakes <laughs> it's so dumb fruit cake day. that's literally it that's literally it <laughs> there's nothing just fruit cake day it's just fruit cake it's natural in- injury prevention awareness month oh <laughs> I mean, isn't that just like a good life choice to try and prevent injuries? (laughs) That's the worst one yet. I'll stick with the fruitcake. Thank you. And that might be our show title. (laughs) I'll stick with the fruitcake. Thank you. Oh, and Jonathan, Department of Corrections, sir. Department of Corrections, you. Yeah, apparently I screwed up the uh, name of that that anime. Yeah, you said Demon Hunters. It's not Demon Hunter. It is Demon Slayer, Jonathan. The Demon Demon Slayer. Slayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Whoops. I'm the worst. No, you just goofed up. It's it's a weird. 
You know, I don't like a lot of anime, I gotta say, but that one is so just over-the-top dumb that I kind of get into it. Like, it's so, so weird. Oh, it's Cuckoo Banana Pants. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I, I don't even I don't even know how to describe that game or that 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 anime. It's it's it 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 is what it is. Oh my God, Robert! What? We're I've been playing with Mid Journey. I should say you and I have talked about it off air. Um, just to bring the audience in, I've been playing with Mid Journey, which is this AI art generator, and. You know, when when you and I were on break, I, uh, it, uh, after I came back, I just typed in something that I wanted to see, and it just popped up as as like its first attempt at it. I, you need to see this; it's amazing. Oh my god, it, it just made my day. It made my day. So I I signed up for that, and I have the Discord channel. Is that how it works? Like I don't even know. Yeah, you go to disc. You go to the Discord channel, and you choose one of the. Um, newbie rooms and then you type in slash imagine and then whatever you want and i gave it anthropomorphic hippos so it's look at the upper left image i i the one on the right is the best because they're just normal hippos in water with just wearing glasses (laughs) i uh i I prefer the lower left one where they're just wearing business suits and look like they're uh hippos from the office yeah, yeah. I, I, well, the, the, if you look at the one in the upper left, like they're all just standing there, and one of them just randomly wearing a tie. <laughs> oh my god! I'm gonna do variations on number three, which is the one you like. Let's see what that pops out with in a little bit. If you haven't messed with it, uh, just go to Mid Journey's website. Um, follow the instructions there. They have great instructions on how to utilize it. It is an absolute hoot. I have been doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and it's just been an absolute. Do you have to? Do you have to pay for it? Or I'm sure eventually. I'm sure eventually, but the, it, it gives you a couple of hits for free, like any good drug dealer. So it's it's doing it all right. All right, all right, all right. Back on <laughs> back on target here, um, which of course brings us to our off the shelf segment. Uh, where we talk about all the wonderful things that we have had off of the shelf and into our hearts, onto our tables, all that fun stuff. Um, Robert, where do you want to get started? Uh, I don't know. All right, let's try it with movies and TV, because I only have the one thing. I watched another episode of Demon Slayer. That is the complete and utter total of television that I have watched in the last two weeks, because it's been that kind of busy. Um, just trying to wrap up the year before holiday break. And now that I'm on break, my plan is to catch way up on a bunch of stuff. Nice. So do you watch the second episode? No, I'm up to episode three complete. Nice. Nice. What happens in episode three? Uh, that's when he does all the training and learns how to slice the rock in half. Oh yeah. That one with the, yeah, that was good. I like that. And and you meet a couple of the other slayers and yeah, it's, Again, I mean, like, look, man, that show is absolutely kooky bananas. But that said, it is. <laughs> you have not seen anything yet. <laughs> it's a fun kooky bananas, you know. Uh, you have not seen a darn thing yet, sir. Not seen a darn thing. Fair enough. All right. Well, I actually watch stuff. So uh, we sat down as a family and watched Wednesday on the Netflix and. Um, Positive podcast. The kids have been watching the daylights out of that. Positive podcast, Jonathan, but uh, I did not like it. Oh, my God! 
trying to explain why I don't like Wednesday and you're I know, I know. And we're keeping it a positive podcast, which is why I'm 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 breaking in with this breaking news. I did variations of the one you liked. Look at them. They're perfect. Which one's your favorite? I'll upscale it. Kind of like four. Yeah, the eyes aren't as derpy in that one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll agree. Four? Four. All right, I'm going to upscale four. Anyway, if you like the show, whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'm just an old fuddy-duddy when it comes to the Adams Family. The casting was good, though. The casting, like, nailed it. Like, the that was really good. I, yeah. I'm planning on watching it. I'm planning on watching it. I just Oh, oh the, the lady they got to play uh, Wednesday. Actually, just everybody was really, really good. Like, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But, yeah, it's just... I don't know. It didn't didn't seem Adam's family e to me. I don't know. Anyway, then I, for whatever reason, decided to start rewatching Babylon five. I was reading about, I was reading some reviews about Babylon five and the sentiment I agree on the most about that show is it is much more than the sum of its parts. Cause you know, the acting is okay. It's nineties TV. Yeah. Yeah. But the, uh, the overall storyline and stuff of it is, is, a lot more interesting. So, and I remember last time I watched it, I really, really had a hard time getting through season one, but I'm kind of enjoying season one, even though it's kind of terrible. I don't know. Maybe my appreciation of just bad, crappy sci-fi is better at this point, but yeah, I don't know. I'm having a good time. I enjoy it. It's a good show. It's a good show. Uh, and then I watched uh, gunpowder milkshake over on the Netflix, which is like uh, Karen Gillian and the lady who played the evil queen in Game of Thrones. I forget her name. Her actual, uh, Lena Headley. Uh, Lena, Headley. Uh, Lena Headley. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's basically them doing, uh, <clears throat> them doing a movie set in the same universe as John Wick. Uh, it's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of all you need to know about it. It's not great, but it's not bad. Uh, they're making a sequel. I'll watch it. It was fun. I've got bullet train. Nope. And Jurassic world dominion sitting on my shame pile right now. Mm, yeah. I've got some of those too. But uh, actually, you know who knocks it out of the park in that? Of course. Uh, Michelle Yeoh. Michelle Yeoh kills it in that movie. She, oh, I really want to see everything everywhere all at once. I am dying to put, see that. Put that at the top of your list. It's an amazing movie. Like, no joke. Just do it right now. Watch that first. It's worth it. You're, you're, you're missing out. So then, Jonathan, then yesterday, uh, there's this YouTube channel where this guy like redoes the special effects on Star Trek movies because I guess he's bored. I don't know why he does it. And sometimes he tries to improve them and sometimes he doesn't. Um, but he decided to recreate the uh, the final battle scene in Star Trek six. And I was watching it and, you know, it kind of looked like all the model work, except, you know, it was obviously done on a computer. So it was like, oh, that's weird. It's almost like I can't tell what's going the difference between the two. I guess home computing has reached, you know early nineties model stage or mid nineties model stage. Um, but we got to the end of it and my boy came down, Jonathan, my boy miles. And he's like, what's that? And I said, Oh, it's a space battle at, at the end of one of my favorite movies. And he's like, I want to watch that. And I'm like, okay. So I, I, get, I find the movie and I start fast forwarding the battle. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, Oh, I thought you wanted to see the battle. He's like, no, I want to watch that. And I'm like, okay, boy, let's do this. And so we watched Star Trek six. <laughs> <laughs> watched the whole thing and he he didn't get bored and we had to stop in the middle of it and he it's because it's great like I, it's totally undervalued as a star trek film like i see people talking crap about it all the time and it drives me nuts i think it's one of the best films it, it is the best film but I, I i don't think it's probably the best movie for a six-year-old i don't get why he sat there and watched the whole thing but he did and i brought i applaud him for that 
And he was he was having real tro- problems because he was I, I was trying to describe who the bad guys were because in that movie it's not obvious because it's not the Klingons and it's not the Federation it's like a conspiracy between the two of them and the conspiracy is the bad guy so I was trying to have to explain this like sort of you know like conspiracy the it it it's dude it's you know it, it's basically Putin that that's exactly what the the story foretold it it's Putin and you know, the desire to keep things as the status quo because they're comfortable and, you know, we, we know how to do this. Yeah. I, I, that's why I think it's one of the better. It's, it's brilliant. Like the themes of the movie are absolutely brilliant. I mean, especially when you take into account that it's 1991, the, the Soviet union has just fallen, you know, two years prior. It's basically like what happens when your cold war disappears and you don't know what to do anymore like that that is exactly what it is yeah yeah no uh, yeah essentially you know the 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 explosion of the of the 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 moon is akin to the fall of the berlin wall or the 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 fall of of you know the ussr like that that is the explosion actually when they're writing it they they compared it to uh, chernobyl but yeah (laughs) sure that any of the above it's all the same thing you know it's the the end of an era and now we we are, have, have existed in this state of conflict for so long that we don't know how to not be in conflict. Yeah, yeah. It's it's freaking brilliant. No, no, it it's is. a brilliant. It's all that's right about Star Trek, right? It's it's commentary and analysis of current political climate, utilizing science fiction as our our exploration device. And that's what always made Star Trek great. That's the reason Star Trek Four was fascinating. It's the reason Star Trek Two was fascinating. There's a reason Star Trek as a show has existed as long as it has. Like it, it, that's what it does best. No, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I just. Uh, oh man, I just love that movie. I I like it because, like, I hear people complain about it because you know Roddenberry didn't like it, and it's like eh, Roddenberry kind of didn't like everything and then did he kind of played the room from what i'm told because he he was very hot and cold if the animated series was also canon because he would tell people what they wanted to hear basically about it but i get that it's like not exactly roddenberry's vision because like a lot of people in the federation are very bigoted towards the klingons in it and and you know express it that's people that that's what makes it interesting i'm not saying that i'm not i'm just saying i i understand how people could dislike that notion because of whatever but i think of all the characters, especially Kirk, it says a lot about him that he does what he does in that movie because he doesn't kind of come around to the idea that, you know, like he doesn't realize that he wasn't taking Gorkin at his word until after he's thrown in prison. Like he's talking to McCoy about that embedded, embedded prison that, you know, he couldn't he couldn't conceive of this. And, he you know, and then McCoy says, well, don't beat yourself up. You know, we were all feeling that way. He's like, no, somebody was feeling a lot worse about it. And. You know, but him having that moment, you know, halfway through the film when he's already done the things he's done, you know, like, I, I don't know. I, that says a lot about Kirk because up until that point, Kirk was all about like, you know, I, I don't believe this is going to be a thing, but, or I'm not going to be the instigator of, of war on the eve of interstellar peace. And it's like, you know, like he doesn't think the Klingons are trustworthy, but he's still doing it because that's what the stupid Federation's about. And it just says a lot about him that he's just, he's you know, he may not, he may not personally have it in him to, to be the Federation ideal, but he has it in him to hold it up because the Federation is an organization dedicated to peace. And he's like, I'm, that's what I'm going to do. Damn it. Like, you know, and it's like, ah, 
like Kirk Kirk's actually Kirk's character in that is like really good. I like I watching it again, I didn't realize like, you know, just how how much he swung around on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's it's just it's really, really good. And you know, they Spock has a ton of great lines in it. And also, oh God. The the whole thing is is very well written. Like especially the dialogue. Like the 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 Earth Hitler nineteen thirty eight comment is like, whoa, that's got barbs. Well, do do you know that like Spock's line about an ancestor of mine maintained that once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, however unlikely, must be the truth. Uh, a lot of people have interpreted that to mean that Spock is saying right there that one of his ancestors was actual factual Sherlock Holmes and Sherlock Holmes existed in that universe. <laughs> and I'm like, you guys are you guys are reading that phrase a little too liberal, liberally. He's, he's just saying what an ancestor of mine, like, you know, of the human race said blah you know don't don't take it so damn literally but still it, it yeah i think it, it's much more apropos to say that maybe one of his answers is or one of his ancestors is the author that said it, it well but, but it doesn't, doesn't mean anything either it's just one of my answers like because he's he's admitting that he's half human like i don't know it, it's yeah. just I, I i never read into it that much but anyway i i think that that movie is great like kirk actually has an arc and he actually has like like he actually has some emotions about it you know like he's he's coming to terms with his grief for his son and, you know, realizing that he's just placing all of that into just the, the nameless mass that is the Klingons that he's not seeing them for people and individuals. And, and, you know, it's just like, he's just so like when he's sitting there just kind of waxing about it while he's in prison, like it's, it's really just, it's a good scene. You know, it's a good scene of somebody just kind of coming to this realization that they've, they've been kind of just a bigot for a long time. And it's like, what, why am I doing this? Like I, and just, you know, having that realization because it's like, you know, he's surrounded by alien prisoners at this point. And, you know, he, he certainly doesn't think about that of, of all, you know, aliens. It's just, you know, the Klingons have become this like monolith to him and him kind of starting to realize that, you know, Klingons aren't a monolith. They're a bunch of individuals. And, you know, I, I don't know. It was just it was it was good. Like no, Kirk's argument it, it, was it, great. It's, oh, yeah. No, it's it's brilliant. And it's it's the best that. Star Trek really explores. It's the best that Star Trek as a, as a, a property offers. And that's what makes it phenomenal. I, I think it is just a stunning film. Very uh, undervalued. It's also underrated. one of those films that like, there's things that happen in it that if it wasn't for the weight of everything that came before it, you wouldn't buy. Like the fact that Kirk has automatic trust that Spock's going to come pick him up, you know, like he just knows, like he, he doesn't have a plan getting out of prison. He just knows Spock knows where he is. And he's like, well, Spock will do it. I, Spock does everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm safe. Yeah. He trusts his crew. He trusts, yeah. he trusts that they know what to do uh, in this kind of a situation. Yeah. He, 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 that, that is the most Kirk thing. Right. Right. But like you, you couldn't get away with that if that was the first movie, <laughs> you know, cause like I, I was sitting there watching it and I'm like, like Kirk has a lot of faith in, in especially Spock, you know, about like them coming to get him out of prison. And it's like geez kirk like like your plank of all falling apart right here if they were just not not exactly on time like oh but you know it it works because they have all that weight of everything that came before and it's like yeah of course spock's on it like spock's always on it (laughs) yeah no that that film is honestly i think that might be i am so torn between that and and con as which one's my favorite like it's better than con it's better than con because kirk Kirk's arc and con is about him sort of accepting that he's getting old. This one, he actually has, you know, he, he, he works through some stuff in this movie, which I liked quite a bit. Anyway, anyway, ah, it's good. It's good. It's just good. And then, uh, we sat down and watched the holiday classic home alone the other day, which, um, 
surprisingly that movie holds up pretty good. I, I was, I was surprised watching it and I realized what it was. Like we were talking about, um, you know, it's like, is Catherine O'Hara's character like a terrible mother? And, you know, I was pointing out that that movie goes way out of its way to like hand wave how that could happen to normal people, you know, like, and then every time my wife would come up with a question about like, well, it, it's so implausible. Like, what about this? And then it's like, no, the movie hand waves it. Remember there's this person like, you know, it's like, why don't the phones work? And it's like, well, because after the power got knocked out, the guy said, oh, the phones are a mess. It's going to take us a while to fix them, especially with the holidays. And it's like, you know, they like, <laughs> like they answer all these questions. And I realized like, as I was watching it, I realized that movies these days, Home Alone didn't take the audience for granted. You know, like they, they really wanted, they, they knew that Catherine O'Hara's mom character had to be sympathetic so she couldn't be a terrible mother that you think she kind of deserves what happens to her you know that her her angst and her like oh i really like you you feel for her and you want her you know you want her to get back to kevin and kind of take that journey with her and yeah and so they went way out of their way to make sure that you know it's like everything seemed plausible it's like well where's kevin's passport oh it got accidentally thrown away when he spilt milk on it it's like why they forget about kevin oh he was in the attic and Fuller wasn't up there with them because they moved him. And, you know, it's just like just all. And then it's like, well, and and then that kid just happens to walk along that happens to be about the same height, wearing very similar clothing to clothes Kevin wears later in the film so they can mistake him for him. You know, it's like it, it's it's very contrived, but like they 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 just hammer in this point that it's just this series of just weird blunders that, you know, just happen to all hit like just right you know, like just fell right through the cracks and boom, like it, it happened. And I don't know, it was, it was, uh, it was good. And I, I just realized like, yeah, no, they, cause these days they wouldn't, they wouldn't care about that so much. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't think about it that hard. They just go, oh, people accept it. They know what the movie's about and just move on, you know? And, and I'm realizing that's kind of maybe something that's missing in film these days that they, they don't take the time to kind of think some stuff out that they should these days. And maybe that's why third acts suck. <laughs> I'm just saying, maybe just saying. All right, so that's movies and TV. Let's go ahead and move on to, um, how about reading? Because I have been reading. That's the one thing I've been able to actually accomplish in the last couple of Well, I'll tell you what, I'll go first, and then you can read your laundry list. Uh, All right. So the... my, my latest obsession, the Trinity verse games, uh, they're having a Trinity verse sale this month because it's their 10 year anniversary. And so all their stuff was really stupid cheap. So I've had my eye on Trinity assassins, which is AKA Trinity John wick. That's base <laughs> basically it. Uh, so the PDF got down to like a buck or two bucks, I think. So I'm like, done, I'll take it. Cause it's, it used to be like 30 or something like that. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I couldn't quite justify spending $30 on a PDF, but two bucks. Yeah. Hell yeah, I could. So yeah, I bought that and I read it and yeah, it's, it's just John wick, the role-playing game. Like that is, that is straight up it and or gunpowder milkshake, the role-playing game. Cause that, that would fit in there too. Actually, that's where I got the bright idea to watch that film. Cause they, it's in the recommended viewing list. I don't know how you could run a campaign of that because it's like, I don't like, as we have seen with the John Wick movies, the longer they go on, like the more it's like, I'm, I'm not sure this story's getting a little off, off the train, man. Like, has <laughs> 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 to cut off. Uh, okay. Whatever. But yeah, but as a, as a, for what it is and maybe one running a short game or a one or two shot or whatever, I, it's very good. Um, one thing, one of the rules I, I took out of it that I really liked is they have a system where they tell you how to like, okay, so if you're supposed to assassinate a target, they have a system in place to 
kind of just tell you how to keep track of where your target is at any given time. And you do it by these sort of like initiative ticks, which is a tick is a, a unit of time that could be, you know, minutes to hours, you know, depending on what you need it to be. But like, you know, for example, it's like, oh, this like home skillet is in his villa um, and you need to assassinate guy, you know, the bad guy. And so it's like tick one through five. He wakes up, gets out of bed and goes and sits down for breakfast. You know, tick six and seven, he's having breakfast, tick eight and whatever. And then if you're trying to infiltrate to get to this person to kill them, basically anytime you do anything that requires a dice roll, it automatically ticks up by one. And, and so it's a way to keep track of where a target is going to be in the house at any given time, you know, using game mechanics. And I'm like, that's actually very clever. And then, you know, they, they tell you to give the players, it's very, very Hitman actually, like the, the way that they kind of describe how to do the adventures, like, like the, the Hitman series of games. So I don't know. It was really good. I've actually been thinking about doing a a Hitman uh, costume next Halloween since I'm shaving my head now. There you go. That'd be good. Might as well lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. Go out as agent 47. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I'll just be Agent 77. Mm. <laughs> 47's homie. All right. Well, I finished The Last Argument of Kings, which is the book three in that first law trilogy that Ray turned me on to. Wow. Just wow. I got to the end of that trilogy and I walked away with one thing a mad respect for how detailed the author's timeline and draft were before they got to writing it because. From start to finish, everything has a reason. Everything exists for a reason. Nothing is wasteful. Everything is there to prove a point, to to create a characterization, to, you know, like, propel the story forward. Everything is just so intricately connected. It's like sitting down in, in you know, in a well-made automobile after seeing some jank from the 80s. Like, you, you look around and, like, everything is exactly fit together and and every single piece is there for a reason and serves some function and it's just like oh it was just i don't know how else to describe it it's just stunning how it all comes together and the best part of it is it's like you get to the end of the quote-unquote action and instead of just like wrapping it up real quick you get almost i would say 150 to 200 pages of exploration as to you know like how everything after the 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 large climax of the story, what do the characters do? Like, how do they continue with their lives? How do they set themselves up? It's just, it's stunning. It's stunning. I I would say it's one of my favorite fantasy tr- uh, series that I've, I've ever read, and I can't wait to get back into the universe because Ray was telling me that apparently the, the author has written several other books in the, in the universe. And so now I really want to see uh, how everything keeps going in that, that universe. I I don't want to say too much, Robert, because I want you to read them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll, I'll put it on the list. All right, and then uh, I started book the the final book in the um, X Force. I don't know what do you call a, a series of twenty books at this point? Like it's so many books. Um, the X Force series, uh, Failure Mode. I am about the, the Expedition th- series or Expeditionary Force. Yes. Yeah. I I am about three quarters of the way through now, and I don't know how it's going to end because it doesn't feel like we're there yet. So, well, I I, I don't want to say too much now. I will pass judgment when I get to the end and uh, let you know what I think. Um. So yeah, that's that's reading. I I, I 
the highest of recommendations. The first law trilogy is um, just just know that it is very much an adult series and it is highly visceral and there are adult themes throughout. So it's not for everybody. But that being said, wow, it's stunning. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to uh, video games. So I participate in the uh, Microsoft program where if you use Bing, if you use um, you know Microsoft services, you, you earn points. And I earn myself a, a free gift card. Wait, and wait, wait, so whoa, 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 back up. Are you, are you saying that you're like a CW character and you actually Bing things? No, no. I just signed up for the service and I generally go and I hit, hit it on Bing and I can't stand the way it displays search results. So I immediately go to Google and uh, really Google it afterwards. <laughs> but it gets me points. And those points ended up being a $100 gift card. And that $100 gift card ended up buying me Midnight Suns, uh, the uh, X-Men game that just got released. So uh, I really can't be upset about that. So anyway, I, I've started it. I, I don't want to say too much. I'm like an hour and a half into the game. I barely touched it. Um, but from what little I saw, it was pretty dope. And I really like the nature of the combat. It, it gives, like the best part about superheroes is when they, they you know, do ridiculous things that are, are not human. And this game kind of understands that. So all of the combat stages have things that you can break in them. So like walls and pieces of furniture. And so maybe you are Captain Marvel and you punch a dude in the face and he goes flying through a desk and then through one of his homies and everything is taking damage and the desk explodes into pieces. And it's doing this all in, in an RPG and it's, it's super awesome. Like I'm really, really enjoying it so far. So I cannot wait to see where it goes. Then I uh, got a chance to play a little Persona 5R. Uh, I'm playing through it with uh, my eldest daughter because uh, she really likes anime stuff. And I said, hey, come check this out. I think you might like the uh, the art style. And she's really gotten into it and we're, we're enjoying the story so far. Uh, we're about two hours into that, not a ton, uh, but she's really enjoying it. And so we're going to keep on trucking through it. I'll let you know a little bit more as, as I get deeper into it. And then I also had a chance to sit down and play a little bit of High on Life, which is absolutely bananas uh it is an r-rated alien shoot 'em up game that is i just i don't even know where to begin it is freaking insane like the whole thing is just one long acid trip it is bananas the guns are all sentient and talk to you while you play oh is this the one by uh the the rick and morty creators yeah, I wouldn't doubt it because it's that form of humor. <laughs> I don't know if it is, but if it is, that makes a lot of sense because it is basically Rick and Morty uh, R-rated. Yeah, yeah, games. Squanch Games. Yeah, yeah, that's, yep, yeah. The, 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 the most hysterical part is that your, your main character is playing a video game uh, at the beginning. It's like a classic 2D um, for FPS. And... The whole thing starts off as it's a sequel and like the main character who's this like totally like 90s action hero that, that kind of has a vague look of uh, almost like the Wolfenstein main character, but with a beard and a mullet. And you're going through and you're, you're shooting all these aliens and it's supposed to be the tutorial level. And the whole time, like the tutorial is being given to you by your divorce attorney. 
And he's, and it's just like, it's just crazy. The things that this guy is saying, like, Oh my God, I love being your divorce attorney. You're my favorite client. You know, you, you, you know how to, you know, you know, crouch, you got to crouch, you got to crouch to get through that because you know, that's what happens. And you know, have I mentioned that I just like, you're the best client ever. And I just, I love being your divorce attorney. <laughs> it's just, it's insane. I don't know how else to put it. It's insanity. But I highly recommend it because it's really well put together and it's super fun. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to play it whenever I get an Xbox because it's an exclusive. I, I just collected Knifey, uh, which is my talking knife. And it just is constantly saying things in the background and it just wants to, you know, like fillet everybody open. And then when there's no enemies, it starts talking about, you know, you should take me. You should take me and put me in your own guts. I want to see. I want to I want to eviscerate you. I want to see what you look like on the inside. I read about this game. Actually, recently they uh, they put in a feature with the latest patch that you can make the guns and stuff not talk so much because some people hate it. Oh, my God, it's the best part of the game. It's hysterical. Those people just don't even understand humor like they just just go. They should just go. So, yeah, high on life. Give it a shot. Just that's not when you play with your children around. Never, ever, never. That's like therapy bills waiting to happen. I, of course, have been playing Stellaris. And uh, I, I, I really want to beat the game as the United Federation of Planets or United Earth because that was what it was called before it was that. Uh, and so I've been trying to start games and trying to start games. And, and the UFP is just cursed, Jonathan. I can't catch a break in that game. Like, like one game I was doing really, really well and things were going great. And um, I explored a wormhole and the wormhole opened right next to the space mercenaries who got unified immediately after that under a con and came through the wormhole and destroyed me. Uh, <laughs> I, I've gotten several now where somebody opens up the L gates and the Great Tempest comes out and destroys me. And it's just it's just ridiculous, Jonathan. I, I've been having the worst luck in that game. It's just no... I can't catch a break. And I, I, it's almost, it's become like a challenge at this point. Like, I'm like, no, this, this is just going to happen at some point. I'm, you get there. You get there. Yeah. I have faith in you. Yeah. I have faith in you. And yeah. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm just role playing the Star Treks with it. Cause apparently that's what everybody does. Like the, the, the company actually keeps stats of what kind of uh, games people play. And they said something absurd, like north of 80 to 80% or something of games that are played of that are basically the Federation in one form or another. <laughs> well, I, I guess they found their core audience. Yeah. 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 They're teasing a new expansion. I'm, I'm very curious about it, but anyway, there you go. Well, and then you play, you, you, you talk to me about this next one a little bit via text. So I'm, I'm fascinated. So city skylines came out with a new mini expansion called financial districts and I was playing it and I can't decide if it's just poorly thought out or like subtly like genius, like I don't. Oh, I, I am firmly on the ladder on this one, by the way. I, I, I looked at some um, some gameplay of it after you and I were texting about it. And yes, it's absolute genius. It's it's absolute social commentary and genius. OK, so financial districts, what it does is it adds in uh, the stock market. So one of the buildings you could put down is, you know, the stock market, like on wall street or something. Right. And it's this cute building, whatever. And you can level it up, up to five times. So I put down the stock market and then what it does is it's supposed to like gamify your performance on doing certain actions. So like, uh, you could have like eventually your airport unlocks or, you know, your oil industry or your forestry, forestry industry or farming. So I was playing, and by the time I unlocked that building, I had a level five farming industry areas 
setup. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I plop down the financial district and I go into it and I set the budget for my farming industry to uh, all the way down that I can. So at 50%. And then I go and I start watching the stock in the stock market of my, of my farming industry stuff. And it tanks because, you know, lots of budget cuts, not as much product moving out, that type of thing, right? So the stock gets low. So I buy a bunch of stock and then I go back into the budget and I crank it up to 150% and I wait a little bit. And of my initial $370,000 investment into the farming industry, I paid myself out almost a million dollars on top of the 300,000 that I put into it. Um, because I had the ability to manipulate the market because I'm an oligarch in that game. I, I, I control all aspects of the economy so I can make my money feel better about money by, you know, manipulating market forces to give myself better gains. And I'm like, now on one hand, that is exactly why I said what I said. Robert. So on one hand, it's like, is this just a poorly thought out thing where it's basically an infinite money glitch? But I, I'm kind of leaning towards no, because by the time you get access to it, it's typically at this part of the game where money doesn't really become an issue anymore. Like if you could get to that level of the game and not have gone bankrupt, you're just not going to go bankrupt after that point. Like it's just, it's hard to go bankrupt after that point. And then the game kind of switches modes from becoming a management sim to more of a traffic management sim in a, in a way. I mean, it's a little bit more complicated than that, but they obviously knew that you could do this. So they put it at a point where it's not really going to matter. It just, you know, it's at the point of the game where like money starts becoming not a problem and now it's just like certainly not a problem. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards it's just, it's just, I think it's absolute commentary. (laughs) I think it's absolutely an exploration and trying to tell people this is why our economy is fundamentally like geared against us. Learn. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty funny. And I'm still doing it because, like, you know, I, I, I had a big, big project I wanted to do and I, you know, I didn't have a lot of money. So I just went and turned down my industry and I bought up. The real question is, do you put your helipad in front of your factory or on the backside? I mean, like, it feels like you would want it in front so that people can see just how rich you are. No, people see how rich I am at my airport because I got a dope airport right now. <laughs> no i'm the, that's a that's a real deep cut um yeah i was i was listening to a a podcast the other day about um the rebirth of the aston martin f1 team and how they're building this brand new factory and there was this whole discussion like the guy that owns the team is a billionaire and he bought the team because he wanted his son to have a ride so guess who's one of their drivers his son uh, and so now they're building this brand new factory and they were talking about, you know, like the, the, the billionaire wanted this helipad out front cause he wanted people to be able to see when he comes and goes so that they know that, uh, he's, he's there and a, a big part of it. And I was like, that's, that's a pretty audacious, you know, like flex. Like I'm just gonna put my helipad out front so that every, all the other employees can see what it's like to be me, but to also know that they'll never own a helicopter. Um, all right, so let's jump into board games. I have had a little bit of a, a chance to play some games, most of which were online and a bunch of which were with you. So let's get started with those. Well, we got the uh, the same old, same old, welcome to Seven Wonders. We haven't played Seven Wonders in a while. I like Seven Wonders. I like Seven Wonders too, but man, you, you just got to get so lucky in that to, to be able to score. I was, I was offered exactly two uh, green cards the entire game. 
Like I just, you guys were snatching them up before they even got to me. And that's just luck of the draw. And that's, that's an inherent issue with that, but it's not a terrible thing. It just is what it is. Uh, honestly, I, both of my neighbors were into green cards. So anytime one came my way, I, I, I sink, I'll actually, I sink three of them into my, uh, my wonder. Hate drafting. It's a thing, sir. <laughs> <laughs> So one day, oddly enough, Ray couldn't play our game. He was the one that that canceled our plans. So it wasn't my fault for once. So, uh, you, me, and my wife, we we played a can't stop for a while. <laughs> we couldn't stop. Yeah, yeah, no, that game's fun. That game is so simple. We've talked about it on the show before. That game is so simple, but it's so much fun. I I find. Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. It was surprisingly good. And my wife, man, she she like she knows them odds. She was doing really good. Yeah, man. Yeah, she was killing it. She was absolutely killing it. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of which, we're continuing to play Intervention on the board game arena. And like I am I am I am terrible at that game. Like I have not grokked it yet at all. Like I'm not I, I, I just don't quite grasp. Hey, if it makes you feel any better, I've been playing Targi with um uh, with Brendan. And let me tell you, I I I am just now three quarters of the way through the game, starting to put together how to make that game work. It's finally clicking. Like I must look like a buffoon. In John, that John, game. Jonathan, I, I get this that. is like our 10th game and I'm still, I'm still just bad, but my wife has like, Oh, we're still working through our first. Yeah. <laughs> it's been really, it takes a long time. Yeah, our, but my wife, man, Oh my God. She, she has like figured that game out hard. And so it's like, usually how these games play out is like Ray and her are just like fighting head to head tooth and nail to like you know win and i'm just over there like just trolling them because at some point i just realized there's no possibility that i can win so i just try to screw them over as much as possible and nice <laughs> and, and just like yeah it becomes my sole goal in life it's like what card will i play that will be the most annoying to them okay play that and do it done and and like maybe that's not a good way to play the game but like you know if i'm gonna lose I'm going to spread that misery around as much as I can. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe it's not helping me get better at the game, but I I do try at the beginning, but it gets pretty clear. At at the end of the day, are you having fun? Well, yeah, because I'm a bit of a troll. So, yes. Then then it's you're doing it right. (laughs) (laughs) Anything else for you? Uh, Yeah. The only other thing is what we're going to be talking on later in the podcast, which is Sea of Legends. So I don't want to I don't want to really get into anything. Well, okay. I will say this. Our last Welcome To game was so freaking close. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one was crazy. That was just three high-level players maximizing their opportunities, people that have played the game before, and we were all, like, our, our points spread between the three of us was, I, th- I think, what, four points? Yeah, yeah. I, I lost. So, like, you, I think you won, right? Did you? I did, but only by one, by nothing, by hair, by one. You beat Gina by one point, and then I was, I was. It was a three point spread. No, no, I, I, yeah, and then I was third with two points below Gina. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. It was it was three points separating all three of our scores. And, which and mind is you, phenomenal. Mind like, you, over well over a hundred points. I think I think was it like a hundred? Was I hundred three and you were hundred six? All I know is that that was by far the the closest game I've ever played in that. Like it was it was just the all three of us were so on top of every opportunity. And yet looking at our boards, we all played it very differently. Uh let's see here. It was 112 
to 111 to 109. Yep. I got, so I built only 31 houses. Uh, Gina built 32. You built 33. You completely filled up your, your card. I had two empty slots. Gina had one empty slot. None of us got a permit refusal. Yeah, that was that was rad. <laughs> I, I won the game, yet I was not. I did not complete any of the plans first. Gina completed two of the plans first. You completed the third plan first. Yeah, the game ended because um, Gina completed all three plans eventually. Gina had nine surveyor cards selected. You and I both had seven. So the real question is, where did I build up? my points. All right. So here's where things get interesting. You and I tied on 42 points from parks, which I think is maxed. If I remember correctly, Mm -hmm. Gina only had 26 parks points, but she had 25 points from city plans. You and I had six and three respectively. I scored a crap load of points by jamming up the, the value of four housing estate, um, and then just maximizing those. I had six of those, and they were on max points, which gave me 48 points from housing estates. Gene only got 24 points from housing estates, and you got 42. But here's the only difference here. Listen to this. So when we look at total points from housing, it was 54, 51, 51. I had 54, you had 51, and Gina had 51. So that means that, like, that little that little hair that I won by was specifically from housing estates because almost everything else balances out looking at looking across our scores. What can I say? We're all good. In fact, Gina and I would have been tied, and you and I would have been tied had the two of you not lost points from BIS cards. Because I had zero, she had negative one, and you had negative three. So essentially, you, we all made the same score. I just didn't take a hit in the process, and you guys both. You, it looks like Gina took one hit, and you took two hits. Yeah, yeah, that's ex- the, the exact amount we were. Yeah, we we were tied for points. That is amazing, Robert. <laughs> we had the same score, but we all did it differently. Yep, yep, yep. Wow, wow. I'm just so impressed, and I, I just, you know what. Welcome to has become an essential for me. That that is, I would say is one of the ten games that I would say everybody should have in their house, in their homes. Wow, that's a bold statement. I I keep going back to it, and I have fun every time. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant game. All right, is that it? We all good? I think so. I think so. All right, go play Welcome to. Join us online. Play Welcome to with us. Yeah. Yeah, you can add in, yeah, infinite amount of people in that game. It doesn't really matter all that much. Yeah, no, it truly is infinite. All right, gang, well, that brings us to the end of segment one, which means it is break time, and when we return, it will be time for our off-the-shelf segment, where we talk about all of the news and all the stuff that we've had off of our shelves. Join us in just a few moments. Do you have a tabletop, board game, miniature game, or RPG that you're going to release for retail? Or do you have an upcoming tabletop Kickstarter that you're about to launch? We would love to interview you for a future episode of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Send us an email to fmdpodcast2016 at gmail.com to schedule an interview.
welcome back from the break. It is now, of course, time for our Wisdom of Crowd segment. That is a bi-weekly tabletop news segment where we talk about not a ton of stuff because, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Robert, it is the holidays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know the one present we're not getting under our tree? News. You know what? I'm okay with that. I am too. I, want people to- I am too. I hope I want- everybody's having a wonderful, wonderful holiday. All right. Well, we did find a couple little stories, so let's just dive into them. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on the show, but back in July, Simon had announced that they were working on a Stranger Things uh, title called Stranger Things The Upside Down. And it was coming from Rob Davio, which is awesome because he makes good games. So um, it hasn't been a whole lot of information since there. Uh, and we've had just a little bit more, just a, a, a tad more. Um, somebody's seen uh, pictures of the board, and the board has locations that are both within the real world and within the upside down. And apparently the way that it plays is each turn, players get to move to a different location, and those different locations will give them different actions. Um, unless, of course, there is a monster present, at which time they'll have to combat the monster. The different actions are going to be based on skill checks, um, and apparently there is going to be a, a push-your-luck-slash-gambling um, aspect with uh, high-card wins, and you can push yourself to go a little bit further. Uh, the whole thing apparently is coming together as a co-op. It will be coming to retail in 2023, and there is apparently now a video straight on the YouTube channel from Simon all about Stranger Things. So go check that out if you're interested. I, for one, am, especially when you slap Rob Davio's name on it because that guy makes good games. Next, a company that I've got friends that work at, uh, BoardGameTables.com, is going through a rebranding. They are changing their name to All Play because that, they feel, is a more accurate representation of their company's products. So, the company's been around for a while now, uh, almost eight years, and they've been producing board game tables and a bunch of accompanying accessories. Uh, but now they are really branching out. They're doing play mats and shelves, actual board games themselves. And so they decided to bring their name um, into their, their modern era as a company and changing it to All Play. Um, they have a bunch of stuff coming soon. They're actually looking at Asian and European titles. Uh, and uh, bringing them to the U.S. market with Factory Funner, Psychic Pizza Deliveries, Go to the Ghost Town, Basket Boss, and Mountain Goats. All Play will continue, of course, to produce all the same stuff they did before, their bags, their tables, etc. But now they're going to have an extensive board game catalog as well and a shiny new name and logo, and it's really cute. Well, over on the uh, the role-playing side of life, there is not a whole heck of a lot going on. You know, Dragonlance came out and... There we are. But today, Jonathan, they released a podcast over at the Onyx Path, which was all about my latest obsession, the Trinity universe specifically. And I think this one will interest you. Their new game coming out soon, Trinity Aegis. Do you know what Trinity Aegis is about? No, I feel like you're going to tell me. Yeah, I am. <laughs> all right, Jonathan, I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes and paint a picture inside your brain. Everybody else do this unless you're driving, in which case close them extra hard. So picture Mount Olympus, but like, you know... M- Maybe a more mythic Greek style Mount Olympus. And then it's nighttime, the Knicks, you know, and behind the mountain, the sky lights up and uh, and you hear a terrific explosion. Something has hit Mount Olympus, something, right? Mm-hmm. So then after that point, these golden silvery pools of goo start bubbling up from the mountain, which the locals start calling ambrosia. And if you go start playing in the ambrosia, you get superpowers, essentially. Uh, the 
Characters will come in three flavors. You can be champions, which think of Jason or Odysseus. You know, you're mortal, but you're kind of like super mortal, you know? Kind of have fate on your side a little bit. Can do kind of silly stuff. There will be oracles, which sound really interesting because they have essentially magic, although I'm sure it's not magic because it's supposed to be sci-fi, but they can manipulate fate. And so, but this is like Greek fate. And in Greek fate, you know, if you mess with fate, fate messes with you back. And so when you start changing fate, you have to decide up front what you are willing to sacrifice to undo the thing that you were trying to do. You know what I'm saying? Like to balance the scales, which is interesting because like... Like a lot of times that comes after the fact, but you know, this you decide, you know, beforehand. Sounds good times, good stuff. And then there's the Olympians, which, you know, picking up boars and shooting lightning and that type of stuff. They mentioned Atlantis exists and that the Ambrosia thing isn't just happening in Greece, it's happening in all over the place, including, you know, Egypt and China. And they mentioned up in uh, Scandinavia, it's also happening. And uh, yeah, yeah, one of the things that's happening up in the Norse lands, so to speak, is uh, the dead aren't staying dead. And there's Dragar now all over the place getting on boats and raiding, you know. So now you've got not just undeads, not just undead Vikings, but undead seafaring raiding Vikings, which just sounds great. Uh, and they said they're I'm ma- down. Yeah. They said their main inspiration is the uh, Atlantis. Uh, expansion for Assassin's Creed Odyssey, that the the kind of weird mix of technology and and you know classical stuff kind of all intertwined is their goal. So we will. I I am intrigued. Color me intrigued. And it is supposed to be a sci-fi game. They have said that out loud. So it's not it's not supposed to be magic and myth. It's it's supposed to be you know there is supposed to be some science behind it. So we will we will see what that even means because their their version of sci-fi includes superheroes. So that that's kind of you know. That barely counts, I guess. I have no idea. Anyway, that's my news, Jonathan. I'm sticking to it. Go. I like it. All right. Well, let's dive into Atomic. Oh, sorry. I, I should say coming to Kickstarter soon, question mark. I have no idea when. They haven't said, but they're starting the hype train. So I don't know. Probably, probably January, February would be my guess. Go. Sorry. That's all right. Um, let's jump into Atomic Mask Games. Uh, they have made a couple of announcements. Um, earlier this year, they had announced, of course, I don't think we talked about it on the show, but I did want to throw it out there, Star Wars The Deck Building Game. And I'm down with that because that sounds dope. Uh, d- uh, designed by Caleb Grace. It's supposed to be released in 2023. Well, on the coattails of that, Atomic Mask Games is Asmodee's, uh, one of Asmodee's imprints that they launched, what was that, last year or the year before with Marvel Crisis Protocol? Um... They are releasing Star Wars Shatterpoint, and Shatterpoint is a skirmish miniatures game with the intent to bring back all of that wonderful nostalgia uh, of cartoons from the 80s and 90s. It's got an interesting hand-animated style. Uh, Go take a look at the, um, go take a look at the cover. An image has been released, and um, yeah, it's going to be released right alongside the Star Wars deck building game in June of this coming year. And it looks dope. It looks awesome. I think that's a really cool place to, to take that, that license. Uh, coming from WizKids, who have been on a roll with interesting projects lately, um, we are going to see a new game from J.B. Howell. Uh, J.B. Howell, we've talked about on the show before uh, because I um, played Flotilla, a game that uh, was designed by them. And they have a new game coming out called Siliconvania. The Vampire Council is looking to hire a new city planner to turn Transylvania into the world's newest tech haven. The race is on to present to the Vampire Council the most organized plans for the city to renovate Transylvania into Siliconvania. That just sounds awesome. I'm down. I need to know nothing more. I certainly don't need to know things like it's a tile-laying game. 
where you get to bid on tiles, and um, some of them will give you uh, game end effects, some of them will give you immediate effects, and you get to place them on a grid that starts out as a four by four and grows from there. And I certainly wouldn't want to know that there's specialist cards that allow you to gain, uh, a, you know, new rule breaking abilities and all kinds of um, vampires and meeples and fun stuff. And you really wouldn't want to know that there's there's a total of eight rounds and um, your cities are going to be scored on stuff like, you know, is there a network of blood banks? Are there proper houses for your vampires? Are there proper houses for your specialists? Um, uh, you know, is there good diversity in your city? So there you go. Siliconvania. That sounds enchanting and interesting and, and definitely not what I'm used to, which is dope. So that should be out in April of 2023 from WizKids. And that brings us to the end of our Wisdom of Crowd segment, which means it is time for part 22 in our 43-part series, A King in All Things. This is, of course, our exploration of the works of Stephen King, um, all the movies that were based on novels, or in this case, novellas. We do have the occasional extra that we've added in, but this is one of the core ones. This is uh, based on a novella. Uh, And what do we have today, Robert? We have 2001's Hearts in Atlantis, which I don't know about you, Jonathan, but that was an extremely weird movie. (laughs) I don't know how I feel about it. I'm certainly it wasn't offensive. No, no. There were offensive things in it, but that was part of the story. So so let us set the stage. It is not entirely an adaptation of the book Hearts of Atlantis because the book Hearts of Atlantis is four novellas that are sort of tied together thematically and 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 with the characters actually it follows a couple of the characters through their lives. Uh, this takes two of the stories and kind of just mashes them together. Mostly it's called uh, the the most of it is based on one of the stories called Low Men in Yellow Hats. Uh, Hearts of Atlantis is actually a story they did not even not even adapt. Well, and, and, and that was like a subchapter, if I remember correctly, from Dark Tower, right? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The Loman apparently are Dark Tower characters. I I stopped reading after it, the third one. So, so as I recall, it. and I could be remembering wrong, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that um, we met the main Anthony Hopkins character in the novel, and they this side story takes place after they escaped from the the you know the the bad guy in Dark Tower whose name escapes me right now, and then Randall Flag. Yeah, it's always Randall Flag. At the end of the the novella, gets captured by the Low Men and taken back, and then there's a whole other section of the of the main novels with with uh, that character back in in that universe. Fascinating. So and and you know what? It's interesting because like. The biggest oddity of that movie, Robert, was the fact that it does feel like a part of something much larger and and like it, it never explores the larger. It ends up being this story about this kid. And that, yeah, that was the yes. weirdest part about it. So, yeah, there's not really a plot per se. It's more like a slice of this kid's life where just this weird thing happened to him. Um, it stars. Uh, oh, our, our old friend David Morse um, from the last time. He, he plays the, the kid as an old man uh, in the future. Uh, and then uh, Anton Yelchin plays him as he was young, and oh my God, Anton Yelchin nailed it. He oh my God, really he was amazing. Good. How old was he when they filmed this? He couldn't uh, have been more 10? than like 14, 12? No, he was 10. Oh my God. Yeah, if I, if, I, if I remember correctly, I did the math when we were watching it because we were just sitting there like flabbergasted about how good he was. Oh, he was ridiculously good. 
the lead lady, uh, uh, Mika Borum, Borum, Borum. I, I, anyway, yeah, she was, uh, she played the, his counterpart, the, the, his best bestie, who was a, a girl, which they, it's kind of weird, like, because they brought it up that it was weird and then they never explained it, <laughs> but whatever. Um, Anthony Hopkins is in it. And, uh, another one actually, uh, was, uh, uh, Bobby's mom, um, uh, played by Hope Davis. She, she was really good too. And like, so that's the weird part about the movie. So it's basically in the future, Robert is a photographer, Bobby, whatever you want to call him. He finds out a friend of his died. He goes to the funeral. He finds out that his lady, his girl friend who was a girl also had died. So he goes back to his hometown to sort of reminisce. And then the rest of the movie is him reminiscing about this period of time during one summer. And during that summer, he runs into Anthony Hopkins, who's on the run from the low men and just sort of they hang out a lot and they kind of becomes a father figure. And then the movie and then, you know, mom gets bad stuff happens to his mom, which is uh, and uh, and then he gets captured. That's it. It's kind of over. Like there's no there's no plot. You know, there's no. And I, I would. I, yeah, it, it's just, you know, and obviously more goes on in it, obviously. But like the acting out of everybody is top notch. And one of the things I really liked about the movie is um, Bobby's mom, uh, Elizabeth Liz, as they call her played by hope Davis. I liked her character a lot because I kind of hated her because a lot of times in movies, they depict uh, single mothers as like being saints. And Liz was very self-centered and not, not a great mom, but she also wasn't like abusive and terrible. She was just kind of bad at it, you know, yeah. like, and, and it, it was a really weird take, you know, cause, cause uh, Gina was complaining about it. She's like, she's like, should I hate, she was like, I, I, I hate this lady. I'm like, but she's not bad. She's obviously very concerned about her son. Like when her son's having some problems, she's like, honestly, like wants to watch out for him and stuff, you know? And so it's just, she's very self-centered and she doesn't like spending money on her kid because she likes buying clothes. And it, it's just, it's a weird, it's a very strange movie. <laughs> movie. Um, I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, the performances were amazing. Like, yeah, like, no, they, it, there was every single actor, like not just knocked it out of the park. I mean, it was an, like an awards worthy performance, like the subtlety that Hopkins brings to the role, the, the just ridiculous range of all the kid actors, like everything came together. Yeah. Oh, and I, I, I should mention it's, uh, directed by a guy named Scott Hicks and it was made for $31 million and it made $30.9 million. So not a, not a big taker back in the day. And the script was by William Goldman. So, yeah. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. Like, so so I, I figured out where I think this movie should land in our, our scale. Oh, right? yeah, let me and bring it, was, it up. Let me bring it up. Hold on. Hold okay, on. it's based off of something you said last time, okay? And, and this really actually made me, gave me a lot of thought. So you said our list is generally broken up into three categories. There's movies that are extremely damn good. Then there's these movies in the middle that are kind of weird and kind of quirky and have some redeeming value, but they're, you know, they're okay. And then there's just the garbage, right? Yeah. And then we mentioned that Pet Cemetery was kind of the transition between the weird and quirky and the really good. And I think Hearts of Atlantis is better than Pet Cemetery, but it's definitely in that zone of it's weird and it's quirky <laughs> and it's not great, but... I think kind of the acting performances sort of pull it up and make it make it punch a little bit above its weight, which is something you cannot say about Pet Cemetery because Pet Cemetery there are two good performances. Where in this one, like everybody's got a good performance. So, but that, that I it, I think it's around Pet Cemetery. It's it's that level of it's in the transition zone between the good movies and the not so the weird movies, but the weird but okay movies. 
it's a character study. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. it's it's a it's a quirky character study in a mystical world, and it's unfortunate because like you never see why the world needs to be mystical. Like I I don't feel like the m- mystical aspect of it is embraced enough to to be pertinent. It would have been just as interesting had it just been a character study. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that that's that's what I think makes it falter as a film, and, and like it's gorgeous to look at it's beautifully directed uh beautifully constructed yeah it it does not overstay its welcome the performances as we discussed are all off the charts it just it can't figure out what it wants to be and therefore it kind of comes off as almost soulless yeah yeah does that that. make sense yeah because like like i said it it doesn't have a plot like there there is nothing there is no a to b so so where do you think that it should sit i think it's better than pet cemetery but it's in that zone of transitioning from the weird quirky movies to the good ones. Like, like if it wasn't acted nearly as well, it, it would definitely be in the weird quirky with some redeeming value, but not great movies. Like it would for sure be in that zone. But like, I think, I think the, the performance yanks it up a little bit. You don't think it's, you think it's better than pet cemetery, but I don't know. Like I, I kind of like, I keep looking at the dark half and apt pupil. It feels like it lives there. Yeah, but the performances were so much better. Yeah, but the, the, I mean, think of Ian McKellen's performance in Apt People. True. Or even or even the kid, I, Brad, I whatever his last I still, name is. I, I didn't hate all the characters, so that's... that's well, that's, but you're meant to hate the characters in Apt People. That's a credit to the performances, to be fair. I... But I, it's, it's, it's high... It's that... I, I begrudgingly put it that high on that list, sir, so... I, I don't think it deserves to be that high on that list. How about this? It's certainly better than App Pupil. Like, it is for sure better than App Pupil. I mean, it's kind of the, the same story. It's an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he takes, like, a young kid under his wit. wit I mean, to, to me, it's it's kind of almost tied with Dead Zone. It, it suffers the same problem. Where it just, right, it, it, it kind of, like, weirdly, like, it it's good, but it doesn't know what it wants to be which is the same issue I had with dead zone. So I, I honestly, I, I think I would, okay. I think their performances across the board are higher up than that. I, I think I would put it between pet cemetery and dead zone, to be honest with you. That's fair. That's fair. Like I said, I, around pet cemetery, I'm, I'm more than okay with, I'd argue above, but if you, yeah, I, I don't care enough to, <laughs> to stick my point on that one. All right. It's so not, is- it's not worth it. <laughs> honestly, if this had been, a mid movie in a series of movies, like a really good adaptation of the dark tower. And it kills me to say this, but the Idris Elba one was not good. Cause I really like Idris Elba. And I think he, he was not the problem with that film. Don't you know what that, that, that would be actually really funny. Like if they like, well, cause Flanagan's doing the dark tower now, but like if in the middle of the dark tower, they just like remake this movie or something, I would be, it would <laughs> make at least make sense. Like, yeah, there was so much more structure at work in hearts of Atlantis that never gets tapped into like it just ends up being senseless and silly mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. oh i agree i agree it's so obvious it's the chapter in a larger story but then they didn't make the rest of the story that that's my big issue with it yeah no i i like it because the performances were good and i liked it because the single mom character was extremely flawed but not like bad because she was still like because like my wife kept going she's such a terrible mother i'm like is she 
you know, because there's a couple points where she's she's very protective of him. And, you know, she gets upset when he's mad at her, you know, so it's not like she's heartless. It's just she's very self-centered and kind of terrible. And and I, I like that they I like that they went there with that because I, I thought it was I don't know. I thought it was an interesting character choice. So for those of you keeping score at home, that means that Hearts of Atlantis is now sitting at number nine out of 22 films on our list. Our top five, of course, are still Misery, Dolores Claiborne, The 1980 Shining, Shawshank Redemption, and The Green Mile. And our five bottom films, the, the avoided at all costs, we did this so you don't have to films, Firestarter, Cujo, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, and Thinner. So Hearts of Atlantis kind of the upper part of the middle, which is that weird section of films that are good, but don't necessarily work. Is that how we're classing those? Which brings us to the end of our King of All Things uh, segment. Robert, that does leave us with the inevitable question of what's in the next episode? <gasps> oh my God. Oh my God. What is, what, is what is it? What is Hold it? What is it? Hold on. I'm double checking. I'm double checking. I want to make sure I'm right. I want to make sure I'm right. Oh, oh, I am. Um, up next, by acclaimed oh! filmmaker Lawrence Kasdan. Oh! We have the Dreamcatcher. Yes! 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 <laughs> oh my God! I'm so excited about how fantastic <laughs> this film is. <laughs> it's gonna be terrible. I'm so excited. I I will I will recuse myself from this. I I have too many emotions tied up in this film to judge it accurately. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I want you to at least watch it and try. I, 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 I'm not going to try. I can't. I already know I can't. I, I've, I've seen it recently. I watch it every couple of years just, just, just for the memories, sir. So, uh, yeah. No, that ain't happening. Because I, I <laughs> Jonathan, do you want to know how many times I've watched this movie? I, are you aware <laughs> of how many times <laughs> I've watched this movie? In my, since 2004, probably, or five, when I bought it on DVD. Do you know how many times I've watched it? Because I do. At least once a year, right? So like 18? No, not, not not once a year. It's every couple of years. However, I will run out of fingers on my hands when I watch it again this time. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm also <laughs> terrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. It's It's a weird film. It's a weird film. I, I, I actually, honestly, though, I actually enjoy what I can out of it because it is such, it's like, it reminds me of just like a really crappy fifties horror movie, but like written by a 12 year old, you know? God, I think you're doing it too much, too much, you know? Cause it's like, it's like, it's like somebody wanted to make a bad, a bad copy of alien, but they're like 12 and just think poop jokes are funny. You know? Oh God. <laughs> that, 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 the whole weird, like over usage of, of. The young buck or whatever. Remember that? Which I know comes from the book because I've read the book, but like, my God, it's just like pounded into your head in the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I I, I also like the story of the Dreamcatcher because it's the book that Stephen King wrote after he got hit by that van. And and he just kind of said it's his, uh, I think it's like his ode to discomfort because he was, you know, he couldn't type on the computer. He wrote it on yellow legal pads while he was recovering in the hospital. Or at least that's how he started it. And I'm just like, yeah, that movie's very uncomfortable. Like, that's that's an apt description of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, oh, all right. Well, there you go. Uh, it's it's not going to age well. It's oh, not, I, I, I it, guarantee you. I know. I know what side of the list this one's going on. I, the, oh, yeah. the real question is: Can it hit rock bottom? Can it dethrone Carrie? Is no, the worst? Of the no. I don't think I don't, it will, th- but it's going to come close. I I don't think it'll. I don't think it will. They they're not. Dunnitz has some bad. Dunnitz has some bad stuff about it, but they're never. They're never. It, it doesn't re- actually the the way they treat Dennis in that movie is way better than the the lawnmower man. So I don't think it'll beat that on that alone. So because at the end of the day, I will argue that that it, it can't be worse than lawnmower man because they deal with the the uh, with the mentally is it mentally challenged these days? I don't want to say anything. I don't know what the proper term is off the top of my head. Hold on. Let's be right about this. Um it's I'm getting intellectual disability. Yeah, it seems to be. Okay. So, well, there we go. We learned something new. We're enlightened. Yeah, you're right. It's just a Google search away. Why am I, why am I even? Yeah, let's do things Um, the right way, right? Let's, let's be good people. All right. So, so they deal with the intellectually disabled much better in that film than they do in the lawnmower man. So I think it might win on that alone. I mean, it's not hard to do because they really dropped the ball in the lawnmower man. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I will recuse myself. However, I, I may, I may argue some points. I don't think, I don't, I, I certainly don't think it's worse than thinner. Like, it, I don't think there's anything that's like actually insulting to a group of people in it. Besides maybe them using some bad terminology, but they, they never treat Duddits bad. You know, they're like his buds and they like him. So I think that I think it'll do it on that. Oh, but we'll see. That that movie's rough, man. Dude, I oh god, I know that movie inside and out, man. I know that movie inside and out. Oh yeah, the mind palaces and mm, Mr. Gray. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Anyway, I'm, I'm there. And guess what, Jonathan? I will be able to watch my own copy of that film. I own it. <laughs> and you're really excited about that, dude, man. Like I said, it's got it's got some feelings tied up with it. It is it is it is not a film to me, sir. It is a symbol, and so yeah, I can't I can't judge that one. I can't. I, I will I will say it right here. I will try to keep this to it. I will not say where it goes or determine that. I may argue it if I think you're you're going too low for reasons, but I I, I will let you be the final arbiter on that because I cannot I cannot. <sighs> <laughs> oh the lawnmower man or the uh it is pretty bad though. I'm not I'm not denying that. It's a pretty bad movie. You know, that'll be an interesting thing. It might be bad, but does it ever round the corner to boring? Cause that's, that's almost worse. That's why fire starters down on the bottom of the list. Cause it's boring. Oh God. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't know, man. We'll see. But we'll, that, that is, that is future us's problem. It is available on Tubi for free. If you don't want to pay for it. I don't think that paying for it would do anybody any favors. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's right that anybody be paid for that shit. Yeah, that's a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> All right, moving on. It is now, of course, time for our Year in the Life segment. This is our segment where we look at what we talked about a year ago, and we get a little bit more time to chat about it some more. So let's look back. Uh, we've got a couple to cover. Forgot My Dice 118, 119, and 120. Ask for it at your doctor's office. Reality Shattered and Dumb Plan Dracula. We talked about the final three adventures in Impossible Landscapes. 
Hadrian's Wall, and we did our predictions episode, which we kind of forgot about this year because this is probably when we should have done it. Whoops. Whoopsie. <laughs> our next episode, we'll do our predictions, and we'll just combine it with our uh, our results from last Re- year. There you go. There you go. I was not prepared, which is funny. I actually listened to a podcast today. That's how I found out about Aegis, but yes, good times. So we were definitely done by with Impossible Landscapes by then, which is fun. That was so fun. That was so nifty. I really enjoyed that. Almost as much as I'm enjoying um, Knights Black Agents, which is turning out to be like the hit of the century for me. Like I'm really enjoying the hell out of that game. It's a good game. It's a good game. I can't wait to review it. I I can't wait to set you loose on the director's handbook so you understand because you don't understand currently, but you will. And and you said that we've now gone further than you did last time? Yeah, yeah. We got through part four or we were like right at the end of part four uh, last time. Uh, yeah. And now, now we have moved on to part five, which I always hate it when we move into the, the next parts because like the, everything kind of slows down and like after the, you know, there was a lot of tension in, <laughs> in the last several, uh, several sessions. And now it's just kind of like, and just take a breather. Take, it's all chill again, guys. We're all good. It's all good. So I will try to fix that for next time. But yeah, oh, by 119, we were at least talking about the Dracula dossier. It's in the credits. That's nice. Did you uh, so, yeah. did you enjoy my my bad German? Uh, you know, trying desperately to uh, uh, you know buy time. Yeah, yeah, that was good. I got a laugh out of that. German's like the only accent I can do okay because I can like channel Hans and Franz pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> to all of our German audience, we are, of course, absolutely sorry. Yeah, yeah. They weren't even Germans. They were Austrians. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> Wir hier to pump you up. <laughs> hmm. All hmm. right. Well, that, yes. So, Hadrian's Wall was awesome, by the way. I need to play that again. I really enjoyed that. It looked complicated. Looks real complicated, man. It's one of those games where like it's complicated the first time you play it, and then when you you ease into it, you're like, oh, this all makes perfect sense. Like it, it just you you need to sit down and give it a shot. Makes sense. Well, there we go. All right. Well, that's what we were doing a year ago. Uh, join us next episode for our um, actual predictions uh, episode, which we are going to be a little bit tardy on because neither one of us remembered and we screwed up. So that's on us. And that, of course, brings us to the end of our segment, which means it's break time. And when we return, it'll be time to deep dive Sea of Legends. We love getting feedback, so please let us know how we're doing by one of the following. You can become our patron over at Patreon. Search for Forgot My Dice. We also have a Discord page where we organize games and chat about all sorts of stuff. Find a link on our website, ForgotMyDice.com. You can also message us or tweet at us on the Twitters. Find us at Forgot My Dice. And of course, you can email us at FMDPodcast2016 at gmail.com. Or you can head on over to our website, ForgotMyDice.com, where all of our episodes are available, plus game reviews and other content. If you like the show, the best way for more people to find out about us is to give us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Last of you, for those of you listening in the village, call the operator, give your number, and ask for us to be put on the rotation. Robert, this this needs to stop. Listen, I'll, I'll make you a deal. I will not make any deals with you. 
that will not be pushed, filed, stamped, indexed, briefed, debriefed, or numbered. My life is my own. Oh, God, I'm going to cut his cord. And welcome back from the break. It is now time for our deep dive. And in today's deep dive, we are joining the high seas in Sea of Legends. Sea of Legends is a narrative-driven, open-world tabletop game for one to four players. Swashbuckle and swindle your way to victory as one of four unique captains. Raid ports, bury treasure, fall in love, and defeat your nemesis as you compete to become the most legendary pirate on the open sea. Your decisions will make waves throughout the Caribbean as each player takes part in the shared adventures woven together by our companion app. Choose wisely. In Sea of Legends, the fickle winds of fate can fill your sails or turn against you at any moment. Navigate the shifting tides as you pursue multiple paths to victory and forge your own tale. Will you answer the call to adventure? The sea awaits. You can't see it because this is not a visual medium, but I did kind of like a hand flourish out to the open sea. Oh, no, I, I heard the flourish. Oh, that's it was good. clear. That's good. It was clear. Okay. So, Jonathan, tell me, how does this game play? Okay. So, at its core, the game is relatively, um, relatively simple. So, once you get everything set up, in front of you, you're going to have a board. Uh, obviously. And, and at first glance, you're going to be like, wow, this board's kind of small, but that is very much by design. It, it should be noted at this time that the other thing that you're going to need to have along with the game is uh, a device that will allow you to utilize the app. This is an app driven narrative game. So, you know, if that's not your bag, tune out now. Uh, but that being said, uh, the app for this particular game is is quite good. It's very stable. I've run into no issues with it. And of course, it'll run on iPads, iPhones, uh, Google phones, and Google pad type devices and the PC. Um, it's very easy to get into, uh, and there's really not a lot there. So, um, as far as your, your setup goes, you're going to lay out the board. You're going to select a captain. Uh, the captain is your, you're basically your main character. There is some asymmetrical stuff that is, um, specific to each particular character. You're going to choose a lover and a nemesis, um, there are 20 double-sided cards in the game and one side has the lover version and one side has, uh, one side has the nemesis version. And depending on what you choose, the lover is going to give you unique abilities that are going to assist you. Uh, whereas the nemesis is going to be interfering with your plans and growing in power, um, and unleashing additional abilities as they grow in power throughout the game. So, who you choose is going to very much influence how you play because it's going to give you access to different uh, abilities. Then you're going to assemble your, your player tableau, and your tableau is going to consist of your captain card, your lover and your nemesis, uh, your ship card, and, of course, crew members. You're then going to choose some factions, and these factions are NPC factions. They are controlled um, by the players around the table, uh, meaning that one of the players is going to have the, the duty of moving the NPCs every single round, and that's going to rotate uh, as as the active player rotates. Afterwards, you're going to place faction cards based on the factions that you choose to be your NPCs. You're going to uh, you know bring their specific deck into play, and those are all a little bit different. The, the individual factions that uh, come with the game are are actually hugely different, and really are going to also be a determinant on how difficult the game is. That's one of the ways that difficulty scales is depending on what factions you choose. And at that point, you're going to be ready to go. 
Every captain, by the way, is going to have a unique starting location that's going to be uh, printed on their card. And that's that's where you're going to determine how you start. So who you choose also determines where you start. And that's going to widely influence how you play the game. From that point on, play is relatively simple. You get to move, and that movement is going to be based on the ship type that you have. And that's one of the things that you can do in the game is you can purchase upgraded ships and those upgraded ships allow you greater movement um, as you scale, uh, you know, scale up the ship. You do not have to take moves and you do not have to take actions in any particular order. You get to mix and match them. And there's only a couple actions that you need to remember. There's go on an adventure. If you go on an adventure, you are going to be using the app to reveal all the different story points and the different rewards that are going. One of the things that you do during setup is you tell the app who your captain is, you tell the app who your lover and your nemesis is. And that's important because the app is then going to be revealing stories that involve those specific characters, which is part of the reason that you couldn't necessarily do this game without an app. You would have a humongous book in front of you, given given how much of the, the story I've seen. You're going to have an action for taking a port. So when you take a port, you get to refresh your crew. And this is important because as you play the game, uh, your crew have certain abilities that you can tap into and when you do you tap that card to the side and you cannot use it again until you've refreshed your crew by taking the port action you also have the option of going to a tavern at tavern uh, at the tavern you're going to earn gold you're going to find rumors you're going to find items again items are again a way for you to um, add to your tableau and change the rules of the game as they pertain to you and rumors are going to be basically uh, directions on how to get unique items in the game and where they might be hiding at any given point. You're also going to have the option of visiting a shipyard, and that's where you buy a ship. That's very straightforward. You are going to be able to go and hire additional crew members. You're also going to be able to go to a hideout, and you're going to bury a gold. Um, and that is important because that is one of the ways that you score notoriety. And notoriety is ultimately how you are going to win the game. In fact, the first player to 10 notoriety is the one who's going to take the win in the game. Uh, There's lots of different ways to build up notoriety. You can bury gold, like I said. Um, You can get notoriety from jobs you do. You can get notoriety from um, beating other players in combat actions, beating the NPCs in combat actions. Notoriety is something that you can pick up in a variety of different ways, which is where this game really kind of gets to stretch its legs because no two games are ever going to be the same because you can go for notoriety in completely different ways. All make sense so far? Yeah. The other thing that you can do on your turn is you can declare a challenge. And the challenge is basically one person attacks another person at the table. At the end of the day, it's highest strength that wins, and the attacker is going to win ties, but strength is going to be determined in a wide variety of ways. You're basically building dice pools, and that's that's how you determine strength. And that dice pool is going to consist of... Basically, the ship type that you have, your captain's abilities, your lover's abilities, and then whether or not you choose to tap into crew member abilities and any additional equipment you have. So that's one of the things I really like about this game. You know, it's very dice focused, which can really be a bad thing. Uh, we've talked about a lot, and I, I especially have talked about a lot because it's something that I, I I routinely find to be a sore spot. Um, the dice hate me, and so therefore I'm going to roll and I'm going to get crappy results that I'm not going to be able to win the game with, right? But because there are so many ways to alter your dice pool, your dice roll, etc., 
This game really does a good job of mitigating a crappy roll by giving you tools to make it a good roll. And that's that's awesome. That's one thing I really, really enjoy about this game. Declaring a challenge, by the way, is what you do when you are going to fight NPCs, and it's also what you do when you're going to fight other players. And if you happen to win a fight against another player, you get to take half their gold. So there's a really good, it's not just about building up notoriety. You can also steal from them and make it harder for them to build up notoriety. So for instance, to bury gold, you have to be sitting on a lot of gold. You have to be sitting on a, a 10 gold to get one notoriety when you bury. So that means that, and I know 10 doesn't sound like a lot, but in this game, 10 is a lot of gold. It becomes a risk to pool up your gold, especially if you're looking to get notoriety by having an amazing sail ship, because some of the most expensive ships in the game cost 30 gold, which means you are swimming around with a lot in your pocket, which makes you an awfully tempting target for other players. So after the player goes, whoever is the first player at any given point is also going to be controlling the um, NPC factions, and they're going to activate the factions. And there's some rules that we don't need to go into here for, for you know, nitty-gritty sake, but there are rules on how you uh, activate the NPCs, how far they can move, what they do, and um, whether or not they're going to attack other players. Uh, it should be... Um, one, of the, one of the more curious things that I saw is if you are moving on your turn and you move through a space with an NPC, you are obligated to enter combat with them, but if an NPC is on your space when you begin your turn... You're not obligated to combat. You can just run away, which means that placement of NPC characters when it's your turn to move the NPCs can very much dictate other players' turns and whether or not they have access to what they want to do on their turn. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, uh, most of the time you can... um, You'll have two factions in the game that you you choose at the beginning. But one of the, the ways that the game modifies, if you need to make it easier, is that you can have a single NPC faction. I should also note that the game is for one to four players. Uh, and how it balances out with one player, frankly, not really that great. The, the NPC characters will be way too prolific and you will have trouble getting anywhere in the game as a single player. My recommendation is if you want to play as a single player, play with two different factions, play as two different characters, essentially. So I'd mentioned earlier that that the game is won by having the most influence. So basically, the first player to get 10 influence tokens at the end of a round is going to win the game. Now, if you happen to be tied at the end of that round, the player with the most gold is going to break the tie. Factions also have the ability to end the game because they have special victory conditions that are unique to the individual faction. And so you have to look at at what faction you've chosen for the game to determine what that is. But that's a really fun thing because that's what makes the game semi-co-op and semi-aggressive, right? At any given time, you might want to steal from your buddy, but also you might want to work together with them because you know that the NPC is about to win the game. And that's one of the brilliant things that this game does. It understands the politics that can occur at a table. And given that you're pirates, those politics can often end with a backstabbing. And that is one of the most interesting aspects of the game. You're constantly going to be talking to other players at the table, trying to get them to work with you so that you can achieve your goals and they can achieve theirs. But at the same time, you don't want them to achieve too much. So you might end up betraying them because that's going to mo- you know, move you forward and kick them back because ultimately there can only be the one winner. So it's really a fun way of doing it. So, Jonathan, how does the rulebook do putting all of that into print? 
So the rulebook does a pretty admirable job. The basics of the game are, explo- are explored in the first third of the rulebook. The second third of the rulebook um, is interesting because that's where you get these very, very, very large faction guide. And that guide talks about each of the individual NPC factions, uh, also all the different captains in the game, so that you can get a better understanding of kind of what play style is required. And then you get a series of really good examples that, that really walk you through some of the different combat challenges and how to build a dice pool, how to interpret the results, how to manipulate the dice, um, how to use your team to make a better dice pool, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's a huge, huge, huge section that talks all about the different factions in the game, how they play, things to look out for, what their objectives are. And, and it re- does a really good job of giving you all sides of potential play. Most importantly, and this is something that I want other companies to look at, on the back page is a player guide, a shortcut in terms of like, what do you need to know about the game and how do you play it? And most importantly, it gives you an index per rule. So like take a port action is on page nine. Go to adventures is on page nine. Um, How do you work with your tableaus on page eight? Anything that is referenced in that player guide on the back on the uh, back page of the guide or of the instructions is also giving you a page number for where the detailed rule set is within the instructions to make it easy for you to find. Everybody should do that. Brilliant. Brilliant addition. So I've been uh, very heavily distracted during this because I'm looking at the pictures of the pretty minis. Oh my gosh. They're gorgeous, right? Yeah. And apparently are people painting them or is there like a, a painted mini box set? I thought I saw a reference to that. Uh, that might have been. This was on Kickstarter originally, so it might have uh, been okay. a painted mini uh, version of it. I I don't know. I did not get it via Kickstarter. Oddly enough, I don't remember. I, I don't know if you remember, but last year I told you I I picked this game up because I saw a random ad for it on Black Friday and it was heavily discounted, and I just decided to go for it because I like pirates. And wow, that was ended up being a really good decision. Yeah, I kind of vaguely remember that. Okay, okay. I'm I'm just picking up the box right now, and yes, the the minis are absolutely stunning, especially the the big giant faction minis. Oh, is that what the yeah yeah yeah? There's a big sea serpenty monster thing I'm looking at too. Yeah, so you, you everybody's going to get a mini for their captain. Those are unique, and then everybody's uh, depending on what faction you choose for the game. That faction has one big character, and then a couple of little characters that, that follow along with it. Anyway, so how about the other stuff? The cards, the uh, the board, how, how does that hold up? Everything's super high quality. It's, it's exactly what you'd come to expect. The game comes with two um, very nice plastic trays, both of which come with covers, um, and they interlock together, making it stack very nicely in the box. There's no real room wasted at all. There's card wells for all the cards. There's extra room so that you can uh, sleeve the cards if you want, which I always appreciate. The game comes with a lot of tokens, and one... Really nice thing is that it comes with plenty of baggies so that you can um, get the tokens all separated out and um, organized within the box. So in that respect, it, it's a really nice execution. Speaking of execution, Jonathan, is there anything off in the execution of this game? The, the only thing that I came across, honestly, was just the broken nature of the one-player game. It just doesn't work. And I'm not 100% sure how to fix it. You would have to ultimately design a rule set for the npc specific to a single player game that's the only way you could make it work ultimately like in in two to four players the game works very very nicely and this is one of those games that because of the political aspect of it having max players at the table is actually a boon to the game because you have more people that you can work with work against 
deal with and really get into the political aspect of it. And that that's what one of the things that makes it super, super fun. Well, there you go. You just answered the recommended player count. So, Jonathan, you've got one last thing to say about this game. What is it? This was a lovely surprise. I did not know what to expect when I got it. It looks absolutely stunning on the table. It's super fun to play. And it really kind of captures that that pirate vibe really, really, really well. It's one of those games that is attempting to be narrative. And that comes with a couple of little caveats, like sometimes not not really getting a, a good, solid narrative that, that links everything together. But I think it's just the nature of giving you all the options to have lots of different um, vari- variation. I think the variation is the more important of the two in that equation, right? The more variation you get out of the box, the more likely you are to get this sucker on the table. That said, I would love to see them re-explore this universe, but with a bit more focus on narrative. I don't know that it's in this type of a game. Uh, but the universe itself is really, really cool. It's well thought out. Uh, the art style is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. Um, and I I don't have a lot of negatives to say here. Like, this is just a really good, solid package, and I had a ton of fun playing it, and so did everybody at the table, which is really cool. All right, well, that is Sea of Legends by your friends at Guildhall Studios. Sounds like it's out now. <laughs> yes, it is out now. And in fact, I think earlier this year they kickstarted a sequel. So there's more in that universe coming. And I'm very curious to play the sequel now. Well, there you go. Well, Robert, that brings us to the end of uh, my maiden voyage through a podcast episode with my new microphone. Oh, yes. We didn't record you cursing at it as it had a few technical difficulties earlier. I'm not fun. blaming the mic. I am firmly blaming Discord. Right. So let us know what you think of the new mic. I'm very curious. I, from what I'm told, I sound better. (laughs) Well, yeah, you don't sound like you're in a tin can or something. Like, the last few have been bad. Yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Whatever. Things wear out. That that soundboard was eight years old. Like, it, it served us well. True, 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 true. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 136 of the Forgot My Dice podcast. Once again, join us on all of our digital domains. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, Discord being the the most active of the bunch right now. Robert, any final thoughts? No, no, none. I want to go downstairs and watch uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So, yeah, I got nothing. There you go. Well, in that case, there's only one last thing to say, Robert, and that is be excellent to one another. And party on, Robert. Party on, Jonathan. The music you heard in this podcast was intro by Elifiel. Additional music was provided by Brian Winkleman. Funding for the Forgot My Dice podcast was provided by our supporters on Patreon. Thank you. Thank you.